Thank you so much to Fly Fidelity Podcast for having us on. It means the world. From LaRange and Southern Brigham, we're happy to be here. You are listening to the Fly Fidelity Podcast. It's your man, Solemn B, the loud half of the dynamic duo, Marlo. Keep your speakers locked, baby. First, First I say, say, what, what we gonna, gonna do? Then you, you say, say, I don't know, what do you wanna do? What we gonna do, what you wanna do? I have an idea. You're gonna dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast it is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You wanna get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. <laughs> what's going on and welcome back to another episode of fly fidelity this week mellow music group mainstays Lorange and solemn brigham discuss their hugely anticipated third release mellow free we'll also be talking about their creative insights into the craft and their relationship with the uk enjoy the conversation I just came in with some brand new options Got a new pen, but we still feel locked in I've been on board, they be waiting on the drop-in And let me slow down a little Wanna be the man, gotta find out where the top is Ready for the war when the top come knocking Ever since tour, I've been getting out of pocket Aight, for real this time Hey, I just threw my hands up, I just blew a plan up I want you to add up, I'm a superman up I don't do the bad luck, get it, get you chewed up I want you to add up, maybe you can man up Word came around and it's still on us Dollar came down and we still on plus I just threw my hands up, I just blew a plan up I want you to add up, I'm a superman up Walking and come out the style, looking for cold I gotta look like the part that I chose I don't know, don't if it don't make me cloud I've been a gun, better throw me a rouse I've been this ready before, I'm still a rebel like weather deep blow. I've been a pillar, my faces be sound, sound, sound. All of my brothers and shorties and cousins, they wanna become so they want something from me. But I'm on the run and ain't no type of buddy. Roll up another, got weight on my skelly to all of my partners and journeys so lovely. Everyone gotta be scheming or something. The reach that I'm touching, the team that I summon, the key that I tuck to the kingdom I'm running. 30 miles up and we reaching the summit. No one can put on a scene like we done it. I did some wrong, I can't help what I fell. I had to go make a prayer for the bell. I was on corner with death in the cell. Still on the clock, got no time to recall. I just try to live with the plot that was given me. When they throw shot, I just feed off the energy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to burn this bitch down. Was there any catalyst or moment that pushed you into thinking about a direction for Marlowe Free? Um, I think tour, you know, going on tour and going to the UK. We were always uh, thinking about a Marlowe 3 or, you know, what the next step would be. But going on tour and seeing the people, you know, was a huge influence in pushing us in our direction um, and the way we thought about these songs. Yeah, no, that was definitely uh, definitely a big deal for us because you know interacting with uh, with people and seeing the responses was pretty wild. But like, especially for me in my career, where most of the stuff I've done is kind of like stoned and sad, you know, being able to uh, have an album that I knew had more energy and then seeing how people reacted to it was just you know, I mean, it was just crazy. And so coming back with Marlo Three, my main my main directions were I want this to be fun. I want it to have energy. 
I want I want this to be kind of like you know something that people enjoy listening to because it's enjoyable. Got it. You mentioned the word tour and you mentioned the word reaction. Can you take me back and speak to tour in the UK during such a transitional time? And if any of those politics shaped any of this album as an extension of the last album's foundations? Yeah, no, I, I definitely say so. I mean, in terms of like foundationally how we build these songs and put together a project. Yeah, you know, being on tour definitely shaped that. It was wild to see that the tour and the live shows went so well naturally because we really hadn't thought about that before. But knowing that we did that well, we just added more onto it. And, you know, uh, like going out during that time too was pretty wild, you know, because it was like everybody was coming out. Like the most people that came out to the shows would tell us that it was the first show since COVID started. And so it was a lot of pent up energy and people really wanted a chance to kind of let go and not take themselves so seriously, which is, you know, kind of counter to my instincts too, because normally I kind of lean towards taking myself kind of seriously. And so with this, it was just so much fun to see people kind of like embrace this idea that let's just, let's just have fun, you know? You guys are talking about a time that was not only, you know, so pivotal in a way we were moving socially, but technologically, it was such a major shift for yourselves and everybody else. Do you think that this disruption we're talking about, did it affect the routine and process of recording and writing, making any of these sonics? I mean, I think most things is, is are done digitally. You know, rarely do you actually get to meet up. So, I mean, um, I don't think we were influenced, you know, that much in a negative way because right. he was still able to send me things and I was still able to send him stuff. When it comes to feeling the energy in the room, I guess, you know, there is a little bit of that. But me and him do try to link up when we're making these projects so we could vibe off each other in person as well as through the air. So, yeah, you know, we were in our way. It got a little interrupted on Marlowe too. That was the only time because like, you know, he had come up uh, for the first time when we, normally we meet up three or four times, you know, for an album just in person and we're talking every day. And so he had come up early on, maybe twice, but both of those times got interrupted just by different things, not even COVID or anything. And, you know, I think Solemn was sick. I think you were sick the first time you came up there and I barely even saw you. You like came out to Seattle all the way here and spent four days like basically by yourself in an Airbnb. <laughs> and then, you yeah, know, Marla too. Yeah. Yeah, Marlo too. And then after that, you know, we did kind of get interrupted because we we had a lot of plans for Solomon to come out here and record, uh, you know, with, with everybody. And we we came out here and we did record, but we couldn't make a lot of music together. And uh, yeah, it was a real, it was, it was kind of a pain, you know, from like, mm. we don't have very many pictures together from Marlo too. And COVID is the reason for that. Our videos were real um, stripped down, you know, and, and, and kind of playful and, and, you know, low budget. And that was that was COVID, too. But, you know, like Solomon said, like, you know, we, we can make shit happen. Uh, it's it's it's, you know, the digital age has been, you know, for hip hop, people making music together from large distances away has been connecting people for a long time. So, you know. Well, speaking of large distances away, you've been vocal about your love for the people and places in the UK and wanting to give back to people who showed love to yourselves making this album. What is it about the UK that turns you on as artists? Um, I mean, it's the culture. I think um, I think more people in the UK uh, will accept different forms of hip hop, you know, and um, different iterations of hip hop. I think, mm -hmm. um, like, 
what's accepted over there, the things that I heard people listening to when I got out of the show or when I just was chopping it up with people, it was so much more varied than you really hear over here. And I really appreciate that. I, I think there's like a cultural difference, you know, that that isn't why I enjoy the UK or Europe necessarily, but I do, I do really appreciate that people in the UK and Europe are um, comfortable and confident being fans of other people and, and supporting other people in that way. And I think in America, you tend to have a, um, like an entitlement when you go to a show, you know, where you almost feel like you're a part of it or you earned it or you deserve that. And the artist has to prove why they're, but in the UK, it just feels like we're, we're free to like have fun and, you know, and like people aren't, you know, so uptight that they can't be fans and just have fun. Like, and so that's, that's really cool for me, but just from, from uh, like a, a personal standpoint, just, you know, I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy the people of, uh, of the UK and the UK itself, just mostly because there's so much, there's so much of a different perspective, mm. you know, like um, whenever, we, whenever I talk about distance with y'all, like, it's always funny to me. Cause it's like, you, you guys will talk about like, Oh, it drove all the way to, you know, down to the south of, you know, I drove all the way to Scotland and I'm like, man, I would still be in North Carolina if I drove that distance, you know, (laughs) but like when we talk about age, it's just crazy. Like that informs so much that we don't realize where I think about a hundred years as a huge amount of time because of, Mm. you know, what I, my history is here in America. But, you know, when y'all are taking in like thousand years you know it's just thousands of years it's pretty it's pretty crazy it's just kind of like interesting how that affects people's perspectives how do you think it's changed how you think about hip-hop and making music how do you think it's impacted your perspectives as artists um it's made it you know what everything is like um everything is like validating you know it, it validates it for me that we're a thing that exists and, and people show us love. It just, um, if anything, it makes me want to go harder. It makes me want to make music more for the people that I know are listening, you know, the people you actually get to set chance with. Yeah, I mean, I guess the concept of tour, it, it, you know, kind of does does make you want to sort of refocus and give you that energy and give it back. But I don't know. I mean, in, in terms of like... Uh, I mean, for me, it doesn't really affect anything. I'm gonna be honest with you. I I, I do I do what I do because I you know the yeah. what the mindset I go into it making making music is gonna be different based on my experiences. But in terms of like what goes on in the studio, it's just so like prohibitively personal. Last. Right. Yeah, you know. And so when I'm I you know. I would love to just be like, yo, the people of the UK, they change everything for me, but I'm not going to lie to you. No, I, I do my own thing. Like it's, you know, it's cool to, it's cool to touch hands and it's cool to meet people. But I think what they want from me and the reason that they connect with my music is because I'm, I'm willing to be so vulnerable and put myself into my records. And if I was doing it for them, I couldn't do that. So it wouldn't be doing them any favors to be influenced by them. Yo. Stay right there, Buster. The first time I swing, the second time I shoot, and I do both good. At that point, an MC stepped out on the stage, so... Show you when the spinning, when the throw down. Set 
Put you on your back and make your partners more proud. Where I'm from, they cover me so much that I drown. Know you want to stop, but don't nobody tell how. I can tell you all about the game and what I found. Met a couple gangsters, met a couple more clowns. Showed up to the cook, but they don't ever want cow. All in different places, vying for the same crown. Don't let them get you caught, cause in the street that equal death. I'm just trying to reach your heart, see how them put some things to rest. Man, you ain't even by yourself and gotta wait to get your check. I can show you in advance to put some hair up on your chest. See, keeping it up is no one when to stand ground. I'm the one to stand down. And I'm the one to punch down. Imagine all the numbers if we hit the same crowd. Make them put their hands up. Make them put their hands out. Don't let them get you gassed like a bagpipe. I've been on the crash since my past life. People acting brash when they glass tight. When the crowd tough, pray it better than the last hype I was on a humble till they put me on a kind of strike Everybody claiming sick cause now they on that mass life I ain't trying to babysit this, prove me wrong or make me rich I'd have had the both of it and trapping never made me this I was in the jungle, hit the vulture with the bait and switch Even though you made it with your clips, you better have the clip Numbers do lie if them numbers is counterfeit You ain't gave nothing to the fam, how you claim rich? Talking like you way too big to take a risk Anything you want, I let you have it like a make-a-wish I'm just trying to show us more to life than what you're bargaining with But when you got some cheese, it help make anything look easy So keep it in the buckets, no one when to stay let's talk about that connection and sort about this new album dropping a week as of today isn't it Marlow part three there's a few moments on this album that seem they, they seem to be powered by comedy and keep it a sense of humor can you speak to any examples of how british comedy in a way we use of sarcasm and self-deprecation how do you think that's helped as a sort of healing power to navigate what was going on making this album. Would you say, would you go as far to say that humor has helped shape this album as a form of therapy? I mean, I definitely would say so. You know, for one, even though a lot of, you know, everything we make has meaning behind it and we take this thing very serious, neither of us take ourselves so much, so serious that we can't crack a joke every now and then, you know, Mm. laugh at ourselves. So I think as, you know, the album, definitely has an energetic approach, but it has a, a lighthearted uh, kind of appeal too. And I mean, that's just how we are naturally. You know, we just we just happen to like, you know, dark humor and kind of dry stuff like that. You know, it lends well when you're making the type of music we make. Yeah, you know, I mean, what's been very cool is to see kind of uh, a contingent of support from UK comedians. Like, that's been that's been really fun for me. Um, and I'm familiar with with them because um, uh, I, I kind of went on a little kick of watching a lot of BBC um, little co- comedian, um, what do y'all call them, um, panel shows. Yeah. Right? So right. we don't have panel shows in the U.S. Or if we do, they're not, they're like, they're real, they're all about the production, right? They're not about the, like, you know, prove to me how funny you are kind of thing like they are in the U.K., you know? Um, but, uh, like, it, you know, in the UK, I always feel like you have to prove that you're funny every time you go out. Whereas in the U S like they will make you funny, even if you're not, you know? Um, but no, you know, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm extremely sarcastic and dry just as a, as a person, you know, that's just how I've always been. And I've gotten a lot of trouble for that. But, uh, so connecting with that style of humor, you know, from like Romesh or, uh, James Acaster and Nish Kumar. Um, it is, I do connect with it on a more personal level. Uh, just this morning, we confiscated a bag of cannabis and now we're asking all students to come forward if they've got Pringles. (laughs) 
Have you had an accident that wasn't your fault and has ruined your life? Next time, use Durex. Let's talk about Romish Raganathan. Of course, he appears on a track, Rom Editions. Talk about that track. What's the origins behind that track, specifically Rom Editions? Oh, I can, I can, I can talk, talk about that. So, Rom, Rom uh, uh, reached out to us pretty early on because uh, he he found out from Lauren Laverne about Marla One. And he really he really liked it, and so. And so uh, he he had kind of like he had talked about it, and I reached out to him, but he hadn't he didn't respond. So I was talking with um, Nish Kumar, who was on my previous album, my last album called "The World Is Chaos," but I or "The World Is Still Chaos," but I feel better. And uh, and Romesh got real upset that Nish Kumar was on my album, but Romesh wasn't, and so. <laughs> And so I reached out and, and, you know, we, we exchanged numbers and we've just been chatting for a long time now, you know, he's, he seems to be a big fan of what we're doing and I'm a really big fan of what he's doing. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, in the U S we always have a, we have a, a phrase that say, you know, NBA players want to be rappers and rappers want to be NBA players. Well, you know, it's kind of like, I feel like comedians, you know, want to be, hip-hop people and hip-hop people want to be comedians too you know so like yeah. there's just sort of a uh there's like a fun sort of casual respect for what the other person does with the same like acknowledgement that we couldn't do what the other person is doing so it's kind of that's that's kind of the whole premise i pitched him this idea about you know we were talking about doing a sketch on this album and i, I pitched him the idea of like what about it like if you were auditioning for marlo like yeah you know just to become a member of marlo you know and uh and he was like well do you want me to like rap and i'm like well now i do you know <laughs> and so and so i sent him the actual beat for a real song that we did you know so we did a song with um joel ortiz and blue and i was like it'd be funny if like we were auditioning romesh to be on that same song and then right into that he just gets cut from that song you know so yeah romesh is good people i he's been real sweet to us so Hmm, it's how I chose to start this UK comedian becomes a rap artist The sharpest tool I have been never Send and stretch a lucking Cause I am not clever My therapist told me To change my inner voice I told him I don't have a choice He still gave me an invoice Marlo, please let me in Please would you let me in Feel like I'm at the club Begging you to get me in Friends will take the piss When they hear me spitting this I would roll in shit and piss If it meant that I could riff On a track by my favourite rap duo Named Marlo Avoid whack like taxes Dodged by Gary Barlow You won't get that line That's pure Britishness That's what I'm bringing With a sprinkle of viciousness so please don't play me like Wiggum, because I should be a Marlo like my name was Solomon Brigham. What was your initial reaction to that verse? Did you need to research the Gary Barlow bar, or were you guys already privy to who he was and understood the joke? I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself, Solomon? Nah, I wasn't. I wasn't privy to that one, but I did think the verse was fire. You know. Was there any legitimate conversation about a UK rapper appearing on this project, knowing, you know, how much of a guiding like British people and the places here have been in the making of this album? Were you guys thinking about a legitimate UK rapper being on this album? I feel like um, we're I, a legitimate rapper. <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely think, um, you know, we would love to work with any UK artist. When it comes to working with other people, uh, we mostly think of what the other artists could lend to the song. So if there's ever a time where we think about a UK artist that could, you know, turn up something that's already Marla, we'll definitely do that. We definitely uh, we just haven't happened on this album yet. 
other than we re- you know. Yeah, Romesh. We we reached out. We reached out to a couple UK artists on this one that I thought would be a good fit for one or two of these songs. I think a couple of those songs didn't even make the album, but I reached out to them personally because I'll I'll reach out to a lot of people just kind of on my own while I'm while I'm making these songs if I have an idea for something. And uh, and I I didn't hear back from them, so you know, talk to your people. You need to say who those asses, huh? No. All right, all right. Well, you did talk about the artist Blue and Joel Ortiz, of course. What about the track Royal? What could you tell me about making Royal with Blue and Joel Ortiz? Um, Royal was a bank, man. Royal we made kind of towards the end of the album, and I remember getting it and just being kind of, I was blown away initially, but I didn't, I didn't know how big it would be, you know? I mean, to me, I really enjoyed the track. It's one of my favorites on the album. So um, I remember getting uh, hearing Joel's verse back after we made the track, and I remember hearing Blue's verse and just kind of feeling humbled and you know grateful to be on the track with them and knowing that yo this is this could be something big. No, I I you know that that track kind of was like a sort of there's a lot of kind of homages to different things on this record that aren't explicitly said you know and that that very much to me is like. I grew up in in North Carolina with the people that were kind of leaning towards, you know, uh, two or four bar loops, you know, kind of like P-Rock or early Dilla and stuff where, um, you know, you don't need more than that if the loop is dope enough, you know, and like, that's advice that I give to people all the time, you know, if if, if you have a good beat, you, you don't need to change it, but then change it, you know what I mean? Like, you'll know if, if, if your shit can can stick because you will listen to it for two minutes straight just that four bar loop um and so for this one i really wanted to do something like that kind of an homage to uh you know the style of music from my hometown and uh when i think about that i think about posse cuts i think about more traditional uh, you know uh song arrangements things like that and and i wanted two rappers that i really felt uh personified that uh, uh, sort of duality between um, something that's very traditional in hip hop and then something that is also very modern. And if you look at Blue and uh, Joel's careers, you'll see that reflected in both kind of um, uniquely. So mm. I, I think it's a very cool track to have all three of them on. Mm. Was there much of an overlap in terms of the beats you were making for The World Is Still Chaos But I Feel Better? and the sonics you were making for this project, was it much of an overlap in terms of what you were making at that time and what you were making for this? No, so for this one, there is a lot of times, it's a good question, but for this one, there there isn't. For Marla ones, there's never any overlap. Um, but um, the same can't be true of others, right? So like, you know, uh, after Marlo, I probably have some beats that I really liked that didn't fit for Marlo, and so I'll move them on. But Marlo is so unique in my own catalog to me um, that I, I don't think it would do it justice. So every if I if I borrowed production because it, it would come off as inauthentic to what the intention of Marlo is because my production style is very specific for this. Um, and so every time we start a new Marlo, I start from zero. And I'm like, you know, a lot of times I'll even have a big stack of records or whatever that I'm like, I, I've just been sitting on waiting to start the next Marlowe album. When you guys look back on the quality bar of those first two Marlowe projects, knowing how intentional they were, knowing how, 
you know, above your standards for each of you they were. Was there any pressure in crafting the lyrics and the sonics for this one? Oh, no, I think there was, there's probably more pressure on Marlo too than uh, mm. there was this one, you know, and this one, I think, I think things came across a bit more natural. I definitely had more fun making this album, probably just as much fun as the first one, more fun than making the second one. And, um, you know, I never really felt like we had to meet up to anything or kind of match what we did in the past. Just, uh, I was thinking of new fun ways we could add on to what we already did and um, bring some of that live energy uh, on wax. Yeah. No, the second we got on the same page, you know, when we, when we um, towards the end of the tour, we were talking a lot about what Marlo 3 was like and immediately we were on the same page, you know? And so um, there's a lot of the things in Marlo 1 that I really enjoyed and a lot of the ambition of Marlo 2 that I thought if we could sort of, um, marry those two things you know and and have this be a very fun record right. to listen to and to make and you know the more fun we have while we're making these songs you know the more fun it's going to be to listen to and so being that that was the case we created a plan that um inherently sort of disarmed us or made it less stressful i want to piggyback on the word you said page uh, how do you think you guys have turned to page with this project in terms of growth where do you think you've grown the most as a producer over the duration of crafting this and where do you think you've grown as a lyricist making this so yeah no i i um i i've i feel like i am better than i have ever been in my life as a producer and that's a cool feeling you know because um when you're an artist a lot of the times, you know, I've been doing this a long time and you see a lot of people uh, come and go. And a lot of that is for personal, for personal reasons. You know, uh, the, I have my own theories on why it happens, but, you know, for me, um, it was a, a, there have been a lot of life changes that I've had that made me reevaluate my process for making music and what I'm drawing from to make that music, especially uh, with mental health and with um, being able to uh, um, take pride in my work while I'm not suffering through the same sort of depression that I had been in the past, or, or I should say indulging in the same depression I had in the past. And so for me, having refocused um, myself on my music and my actual beat making, not just myself as a creative or an artist, but actually the technical beat making and the mixing and the sounds you know it's been a lot of fun for me because I, I feel like a lot of things have clicked for me that you know I've been doing things the same way for so long but this one I, I really feel like this is the best work I've ever done and um and I feel the same for song too I mean on the same man I used to have like I used to have a way more rookie mentality when it came to like pinning bars and trying to contribute to hip-hop well I thought I could I could control people like they're going to know exactly what I want them to think. And they're going to think exactly how I think, you know, and um, over you, you kind of get like, it's like a fantasy, you know what I mean? You think you have different powers than you do, but when you in the game for a minute, you understand that people take different meaning out of your bars, you know, everything is fantasy until it becomes a reality. And um, some people feel differently about your own music than you yourself feel about it. And that just makes you appreciate it in a different way. So I think now, instead of being so hyper-focused on each individual thing I'm saying and how that can influence people, I think I'm more focused on 
uh, generally how I want people to feel, how, to, how I want them to think about Marlo, how I want them to think about me and just expressing myself more than trying to make people think what I think. Let's talk about bars. Let's talk about layers. What's the story behind the opening line on a light trip? Everything's got to be original because I left all my bars in the UK. That's literal. <laughs> That's literal. <laughs> what yeah, happened? So, okay. so there's a tale. So when I performed for the first time in Brighton and um, it was a crazy show, had a great time. It was live. I killed it. I love y'all, the people in Brighton. Y'all killed it. Right after that show, for no apparent reason, my phone just never cut on again. So like the last time I used my phone was before I set foot on stage. When I got on stage, it, it just never worked ever again. And that phone, I don't know about other people, but that, that phone had a lot of lyrics in it. A lot of the things that I was inspired by while I was in the UK, you know, some old inspiration from Marlo 2, because that was my Marlo 2 phone. And I had lost all of that. You know, a lot of, a lot of stuff you retain in your head but I had lost all of that. And so when we got back and, and I juggled phones when I was in the UK too, we were like scrambled in between sets so I could get another phone. And I ended up buying like two different phones. But when I got back to the States, I didn't have anything to support me when it came to like finding something to help me start writing raps. Everything had to be original. Every song you hear on this album was from scratch. It was me hearing the beat and creating something from scratch. Cause I didn't have anything to go back to, you know, I had to, think about right. the experiences I had and imagine, you know, how it felt and recreated again. That's crazy. We were talking about disruption earlier. That really speaks to the disruption in the process, right? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, that, um, you know what, that was disruption, but on the real, it made me better. You know, it was a, it was a building process for me because it, it made me have to come up with, new inspiration on the fly and it made me have to think about my raps in a different light and just uh you know do something that i always knew i could do <laughs> it became construction as much as disruption yeah for sure you know every time a door closes another one opens you know whenever there's a time that something's bad happening you can find silver linings and i, yeah. I guess my silver lining was it helped me be a better mc and it helped me express myself even further how long did it take you to write this album um, we started working on the album as soon as we got uh, off tour. I want to say like, but you know, everything I write, I don't know, we don't always use. The bulk of the album, we probably wrote in about four to six months. Okay. The second I got back from the UK was, uh, was when I started working on it, you know? And so normally there's about a month and a half between when I start and when Solemn starts, because I kind of have to dial in what I'm doing I try not to send him beats I don't want him to rap on and a lot of times I don't know what the album is going to sound like until I get about four or five you know good beats in and uh and I probably cut half of those so yeah no I uh, uh um I probably started in mid-November and then I think me and Solomon kind of got together and started putting together songs in like January Got it. This is the first album you've mixed since completely going deaf in your right ear. What would have been the first songs off Marlo Free in terms of mixing where you felt, you know, okay, I've adjusted and I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be? It, it was kind of the, you know, um, there are a number of people that I put on there as like mixing advisors, I think. I don't know what I call them, but, uh, you know, what was happening is I was, I was going through... Um, 
I, I was going through the process of getting all the files ready to hand in for mixing. And as I was doing it, we were, we were kind of, um, we were kind of uh, up against the wall for a timeline, you know? And so I was asking a lot from the dude I was, I was going to get to mix it. And so I was sending rough mixes cause it's hard to give feedback or show what you want, you know? So I was giving kind of rough mixes. And as I was doing it, there were some people that I know that are, you know, mixing engineers that I was sending it to, to, you know, kind of tell me if, uh, if I was doing something right or wrong. And, uh, and a lot of them gave me really positive feedback where they're telling me, you know, this is actually really close to a nice mix. You know, you should be doing this yourself and all this. Stuff. And so after a while, it took some convincing, but I ended up taking it on just because I, um, I've done a lot of research and I've worked really hard to get better at this. So this was a big step for me to kind of go back into the world of, uh, of actually um, using uh, my hearing for, uh, um, you know, being confident in my hearing even though I only have the one here. What were those challenges? Can you speak to any challenges that you ran into when you were mixing those songs that might not have been challenges on the first two Marlow albums? Sure. Oh, well, I don't know about the first, well, so the first two I didn't mix. So the first two, you know, the, the main complications there are communicating with the person that you're, uh, that's mixing it, you know? And so right. that's the big challenge is, is, is your language of, of, what what your language is to describe what you want what you don't want and uh that can be very frustrating for both parties but in terms of um in terms of this one you know it, it you know the biggest misconception about losing my hearing is that the hearing loss is the problem but really the problem is is how your brain is interpreting what you're hearing so uh, for instance, I don't have any directional hearing anymore, or, and it's uh, harder for me to separate noises. And, um, and because I lost hearing in my right ear, uh, there's some frequencies that I can kind of hear a little bit more, and those tend to be exaggerated. So for instance, I can't hear anything zero, 100% depth under 500, or deaf under uh, 500 hertz. And then around 2000, I have like, a tiny bit but what that does is my brain receives that as 2000 hertz being more harsh and then so i have to compensate for what i know my brain is doing by uh um you know using visual aids or just trusting myself or you know with those lower frequencies a lot of times i'll i'll use um touch to help so i'll put my hand against a speaker and i'll use sort of a um uh, a sensory, you know, kind of assist there because it's it's tough to to tell pitch and tone and intonation from uh, that range because I, I can't hear very well. And that's the other thing that the advisors are good for is I'll, I'll after all of that, I'll send it to them and just see if I, you know, messed anything up because I might have and wouldn't be able to hear it. going on if you are still listening to this episode and enjoying the podcast why not become a patron of fly fidelity at patreon.com slash fly fidelity becoming a patron means you are directly supporting our show and helping us to create a new episode each and every week it also means that as a thank you for being 
being a super supporter, you'll be able to access exclusive content to you, including Patreon updates, offers and discounts, a monthly secret podcast, early access, and so much more. There's like a very distinct thing with Marlo with the production, and I, and I, you know, it's 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 kind of a difficult thing because I want to preserve what what I feel when I listen to a Marlo track. Because if you play me one of my songs, even if I hadn't heard the song I wrote, I would be able to tell you what's Marlo and what's Larange because there's a there's a tonal difference. But you also don't want to repeat yourself, right? You know, and um, uh, not because I'm you know. Uh, um, like uh worried about uh um you know being redundant but because creatively it's not interesting and so for this one um it was it was kind of a challenge to to un sort of unlearn what i had uh what i was trying to do i think the first two weeks of making beats for marlo i was basically just making marlo one beats like i had you know probably six or seven beats that sounded like they should be on marlo one and um and i wasn't happy with it and so i i finally kind of cracked the code towards the end of december but that was a that was a big that was a big struggle for me there because I, I i accumulated like 40 50 beats that i was like you know kind of repeating what i what i've done before and so That's to kind of crack that code was was uh was fun when it happened is there a song as closest to a snapshot of where your lives are right now is there a song that speaks to each of you purest and loudest on this project um for me definitely i'd say two i'd say um for one lamello for sure that's like a, a snapshot and i'd say um past life yeah i, I don't know you know i'm kind of looking at looking at these even i mean i don't know i i i really uh i really kind of um I guess relate a lot to to light trip but you know i i don't i don't know there's a uh there's a lot of um when i say i relate to something i think i'm talking about my own beat you know because he's probably saying something that's very deep and going over my head but when when i think about it i'm i'm imagining the uh the actual tone of the songs I, I, you know, the one I, I particularly really relate to and enjoy because it, it, it reminds me of the style of music that I kind of more typically make is uh, the rock. Um, just because that, that beat is just, it reminds me of all the dirty, dope underground stuff that I have listened to myself, like what I listen to, not what I make, you know. Mm. How did that come about? Yeah, that one is actually the first song we made on the record we were in uh we were in my studio he was right over there and i was uh making a beat right there and uh uh and we kind of like it was real real late i had been making beats all night and and i wasn't really hitting any homers like they were all okay but there wasn't one that we were just like oh man you know this is the this is the this is what marlo 3 sounds like you know and so I was kind of like, you know, trying to figure something out. And I made this beat right before we were going to sleep. And um, it was like four in the morning, maybe like five in the morning. And we were just smoking a lot. And I was, I put together this loop that was pretty dope. And I uh, uh, bounced it out and sent it to him. And uh, like, 
maybe like a month later while I was sending him new joints, he was like, yeah, I just recorded to, you know, to this one, to this one joint from when you were over there or for when I was over there. And I'm like, Oh no, you know, like I said, none of those were that great. So, you know, which one did you record to? And he sent it over to me and I was like, Oh, this is actually good. Like, you know, it's one of those, it's a simple beat, but you know, you, you didn't I just I didn't really even recognize how much I liked it until I heard it back to me you know a month later but yeah that's one that we actually wrote in the same room which is kind of fun yeah yeah we was in the lab right there where he was sitting I'm, I was in the background I remember he made it you know I might have freestyled a little bit but neither of us thought it was going to be a joint joint but when I got back home you know started spinning through them and listening to some of the stuff that he had made while I was up there as soon as I heard it, you know, I was like, oh, I got to do something, you know? And so um, being that that was the first joint, I started just instantly thinking about, you know, everything we had been through on tour and everything we had just chopped it up about. And I was like, okay, it's time to make a statement. And, um, you know, it just it just came through. I think the energy speaks for itself. I sent it off to him. When, when, when I did say, hey, you know, I recorded to this uh, rock joint, he was like, yeah. And then when I sent it off to him, he was like, oh, yeah, so, I didn't even no. remember which one it was, to be honest. It was like one of five beats. And I just remember all five were kind of mediocre. But yeah, no, that one was good. One was dope, dope. Dope. What about what about past life? You guys talked about past life. Could you talk about the making of that one? So yeah. past life for me, um, I don't want to say it's a, one of the more serious songs on the joint because every one of the joints is fun and past life is definitely fun. But I was thinking, um, just trying to express some of the things that I've learned over being a rapper for the past you know, few years and um, not being a rapper before then, you know, I was just trying to express to people that everything ain't as sweet as it might seem from the outside and give a little picture of that for people who might decide to be artists themselves one day. It's really just my look into the game and outside of the game. Yeah, no, for, for me, um, on the production side, uh, that one really... Um, that one I got real excited about because, you know, when I talk about trying to find the tone for what I want Marlowe 3 to be, that one was one of the ones that really crystallized the production style that I wanted. Because, you know, Marlowe 3 has a lot of like rock elements, a lot of guitar, a lot of horns, a yeah. lot of like real different influences. And so um, when I made that beat, that was one of the ones where I, I started the vision for what I wanted Marlowe three to be really was starting to kind of like make me excited and, and become more clear. Damn, my chain is choking. In the yeah, so any appetite can only be a thing when me and Lawrence come together, because I tell you, we made that when he and I were at one of the times that we were in person. And um, I was just pretty much feeding off of that energy. Eddie Appetite is a reoccurring character in Marlowe. You know, he was on Marlowe 1 and Marlowe 2. And so, you know, I was I didn't know whether or not he'd show back up. You know, we, we didn't really know how people felt about him, but he had to come back, you know, and he had to come back with a vengeance. I wanted him on there so bad. I love Eddie Appetite. I love Eddie Appetite more than anyone loves Eddie Appetite. I think people could probably do without Eddie Appetite, but I wasn't going to let it happen. It's very so, Prince Paul, very De La Soul. 
Well, that's my biggest influences, right? Like my, you know, my biggest influences personally are like our Prince Paul, you know, Dan the Automator, mm. uh, you know, or this sort of like um, even kind of like late Dilla, uh, you know, Madlib. These people that are, you know, creative above all else, right? So are they dope beat makers? Absolutely. But to me, that never seemed like their focus. Their focus was uh, be creative first and foremost you know and uh and that's what i've always tried to be so um you know having having stuff like that is is very very fun for me i love i love being able to just sort of like flex the comedy style and, and and kind of like uh the timing and and be able to kind of play with with how funny music itself can can kind of be i've always felt a lot of my songs were very funny that people have taken very seriously We've been talking about evolution and growth in this conversation. Is there anything you're trying to practice more to be the best version of yourselves that you're still pushing to develop and perfect as artists? I mean, I'm always trying to care about people more. You know what I'm saying? When you live this game, when you're being an artist and you're always chasing, you know, the next high in music and you're all about yourself and your experiences, you miss a lot. You know, I miss a, I've taken this journey and I've missed a lot of experiences with people who really care a lot about me and I try to do a better job of just you know making sure I give these people their time in my life and let people know that I love them as much as they love me I'm not really working on shit I'm I'm I'm, I'm changing so much on my own without even meaning to that I figure you know life will just take that for me so I'm just gonna let it ride where were we at beyond this Marlowe free what kind of world do you guys planning to occupy next does Marlowe's magic end as a trilogy or does this keep keep on keeping on well I always say you know like after Marlowe one to Marlowe two Marlowe always returns when the world needs us the most so you know Marlowe will always be back yeah I'm not a betting man but if I had to guess it'd probably be in two years <laughs> And of course, you've got an upcoming European tour. You're coming back to the UK, taking place from the 4th of November right up until the 23rd of November with a special guest. Yeah, we're doing, we're playing a show with Ramesh. Hopefully more to come with him. You know, I, I really like that dynamic. Hip hop is such like a strong part of his uh, personality and what he loves and, you know, um, and, and the, the, the juxtaposition of of our style of hip-hop and his style of comedy is just it's just funny to me like i said music is very funny to me and and like um and and so i see that connection very easily and so i'm looking forward to to playing that show i hope we get to do more in the future because that's sort of uh the kind of interesting um you know if we're gonna like be a support act on a tour like that's that's the most interesting you know i like i like the idea of of that being something that people would want to go see. See, everything gotta be original because I left all my bars in the UK. Got a hole in my hand from the bills. Ain't even got time to write down how I feel. We was up.
up the stream, you can get it by the man. Big fish swimming, blowing smoke through my gills. Used to call me Junior, they ain't never call me Lil. They be talking about the golden age like we ain't glistening in the day. L was picking through the scraps, I was piling up the scrapes. I'ma be the next at bat, that's on everything it takes. How you feel? It's my decision, I probably make you mad. Don't like the way I'm living, sometimes when I get fed up. I go against it, I know you taught me better. I sort of listen, you know I think you right by tight grip. Every day I step a slide, light trip. Left to keep my right mind, tight grip. Every day I step a slide, light trip. Tell me who you move with, kick with, boss with. Never show my moves, I was taught this talk slick. Catch me paying dues, show you how to give an offering. Rep, I never lost it, we gon' keep it like an office. What you talking, look, most things I'm involved with. Give me proceeds, but I'm cautious, cause they mostly see my losses. Blow steam, get exhausted. Approach me with the nonsense, like I woke dreams and some crosses. Broke me with a lost it, you can never have too many causes, ayy. If I return, I promise I do better. Live by your every I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people saw you with me where you were.